0: Auto
1: Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, solutions
2: for your journey.
1: Well, hello everybody out there. Hello Sam Fiorani from Auto Forecast Solutions. How are you doing, John? I well, I'm sort of doing okay. I got to explain to the audience what's going on here. So, we've been hit by a massive ice storm and power has been knocked out all over the place. And uh Gary Vasilash is on vacation this week. Uh, We've got Dan Neal here. We're trying to get him in, but there's, again, connectivity problems here, which we'll have to blame on the weather. And uh, even though you you see Dan right now, I don't think he hears us, and uh, we definitely can't hear him. But I'll bet he's able to come in at some point in the program here. But uh, while We get going here, you know. Gary Vasilash often comes up with something in history, this day or this week. And Sam, you had a couple of things you thought you wanted to point out.
0: Oh yeah, no, we realized that uh, it's been a hundred years since they added ethyl to gasoline, and about a hundred years since uh, uh, Alfred Sloan took over General Motors.
1: Okay, explain the importance of adding ethyl to gasoline.
0: Well. Ethel was uh, quieting down the knocks on cars and and, uh, and ending up polluting the atmosphere for a, for a generation or two or three.
1: <laughs> but it allowed higher compression. Engines ran far more efficiently with it until, yeah, the yes. EPA decided, you know, we don't want to be re- breathing this stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it just got into everything. And and uh, and we're noticing it, you know, now it's been, what, uh, 40, 45 years since they took it out of gas now.
1: Yeah, that's right. And uh, and Sloan, Sloan is
0: one of the greatest presidents
1: of General Motors in its entire existence. Maybe the greatest.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, he ranks up there with uh, Durant and and everybody else who who uh, took over that company over the years. Sloan is uh, synonymous with with General Motors. As a matter of fact, I have his his book around here somewhere. Uh, It's called My Years with My Years with the General Motors. Yeah, he
1: had another one that uh, they don't uh, tout it much as much at General Motors. I think it was called uh, "Confessions of an Automotive Man," or I, I'm I'm not sure the, exactly the title right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, but it, I know his big one was uh, was uh, my years at General Motors. That was his yeah. big biography.
1: But, yeah, look, anybody who's in the automotive business that wants to know what it's about, you ought to read that book.
0: It, it's yes. one of the classics. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: But Sam, let's get into some of the things uh, that's been going on in the industry. And, uh, you know, hopefully Dan Neal will be able to, to jump in on this too. But one of the things you're talking about is how much excess capacity there is in this industry right now. And that's a real problem. You know, when you can build far more cars than you've got people buying them, somebody's going to have to eat that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I've been into this industry a, a long time, but. Uh, mentors of mine who were in this industry a lot longer than me uh, founded the the idea that uh, excess capacity was a bad thing and and how to measure it over the years. So we've taken that to the, to the next step and looked at the the world and figured out how much excess capacity. in the all, the only problem is right now we're at a different state. There are so many startups coming in that are adding capacity to the market. Uh, some of them some of them say stating hundreds. Many hundreds of thousands of units of of capacity that they're bringing. Uh, in some cases, it may not actually be there, but they they have the factories. They claim that they could build vehicles, so it's adding to this excess capacity. And then companies like General Motors and Ford aren't helping by adding new plants to build EVs in addition to the plants that build ICES alongside them. They're uh, they're claiming that
1: you, you know somewhere out there those ICE plants are going to close, or
0: most oh, of yeah. them are. Yeah, yeah, but, but they don't see that yet. They think that right. these early adopters are raising the bar, are lifting up the the whole market and adding to it and not taking away sales of Silverados or Sierras or F150s and it, it, we just we just don't see it after the first handful of uh, early adopters that come into the market.
1: Yeah, well, you know, one of the reasons why they're building these plants dedicated to EVs is if if you do that, if you dedicate a plant to an EV, you can really get a whole lot more productivity out of that plant than if you try to build ice and p heaven hybrid and bev all on the same line.
0: No, so oh, absolutely.
1: It, even though some of them are doing it, in fact, even GM is doing it. Spring Hill is, you know, they're building ice and bev, you know, the Cadillac lyric is is coming down the same line as what other plant cars do they make at Spring Hill, Tennessee. Oh, they
0: they build the uh the uh XT six, XT5, and uh um GMC Acadia. Yeah. So yeah, how they, much no. The, those the assembly like you said, the assembling uh, EVs takes a different process, and so it's much more efficient to start from scratch and and build the process from the ground up rather than running it down the same assembly line that you're putting engines and transmissions in. And it, it just it makes more money for the manufacturer, and it's much more efficient if you do do it from scratch.
1: Okay, so you, you you've looked at excess capacity on a global basis. How bad is it?
0: well it, we've got we've always had you know tens of millions of units of excess capacity just from the way that the industry works but you add in the ev the ev startups and then the chinese startups and all these different companies around the world that intend on breaking into this industry and and we're adding you know another 10 20% to that that over capacity so the capacity right now we're running we're probably running 60 to 70% capacity globally we're Eighty percent or better is is profitable.
1: That well, that's the rule of thumb in the industry. That you got to have about eighty percent capacity utilization. And just to explain that simply, you know, let's say you can build uh, hundred thousand cars a year. If you can build at least eighty thousand, that
0: plant should be profitable. And anything right. above that is just money in the bank. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 like you said, the the excess capacity will weed itself out as. Players fall away as uh, legacy manufacturers decide to to par- pair off the ICE plants. Hey, looks like we might be
1: getting Dan Neal in here. Dan, can you hear us? I can hear you. I can hear <laughs> you
2: guys. <laughs> hey. What a what a what a joy it is to be with you now. Let me just off the <again.
0: laughs> <laughs> Oh, much better.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: So are you having oh, I, ice I, storm I, problems?
2: So cool. No, no, not, thank God, no. Why? Uh, I know uh, we've had some shitty weather, but I mean, uh, poor weather, but uh, yeah, not so far. Now I'm just backlit everywhere I go. Okay, fine. What was the question? Uh, what are you guys talking about? We're talking about, right here?
1: no, not yet. Excess capacity in the industry. Sam and uh-huh. in Auto Forecast Solutions has done a big study and shown that, holy crap, this industry can build way more cars than there are customers for.
2: I wonder it's when insane. you see the net profitability for, for Tesla, uh, is it just reflecting their advantages in tooling, or the fact that they don't have to carry the, all these, uh, all the rest of these, uh, uh, these industries around, and so it uh, you know makes their profitability per unit lopsided. In other words, uh, they you know, and they're carrying the excess capacity.
0: Yeah, they they don't have a lot of excess capacity at the moment. They're even their their new plants are running pretty well. Uh, uh Germany and and Austin still have to come up to speed, but you know I meant the Shanghai uh, oh, yeah, is yeah. running balls out it's it's amazing. So yeah. Sam, yeah.
1: I got to believe uh China's got the most excess capacity of all hands
0: down right? Oh yeah, well they've got dozens of EV startups plus all the the small factories that have popped up everywhere across the country. <laughs> it, it does have a lot of overcapacity and we just see that going away when when some of these smaller companies uh disappear when some of the EV startups finally run out of money, uh, it'll, it'll happen and it's not too far down the pike. I wonder about that because,
1: you know, China's had so much excess capacity for a year and the Chinese government even wants to see a lot of consolidation. And it's never happened because provinces and municipalities want the jobs and they keep these plants going even if they don't make any money.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Those, those little guys just pop up everywhere and, and make these tiny little terrible cars. And then, you know, the major cities are building the good cars, the cars that can that can be exported and sold to bigger cities and to other countries. Yeah. So. Uh, so what, what do you think about this
1: uh, break even point that Stellantis has got 40 percent?
0: Yeah, they're they're doing great, especially because of Jeeps and Rams. You know, uh, when you make, when you've pared down your market to get rid of Dodge Darts and Chrysler 200s and uh, all these products, even the, the Jeep Cherokee, when you get rid of all these products that make less money and focus on Jeeps and Rams that are making a ton of money, you know, your profitability shoots up amazingly. It's great. Yeah. So Dan, let's get you in on
1: this. I know one of the things you wanted to talk about was Toyota's slow walking its way into the e v segment
2: yeah, I think uh it's a fair critique and uh I think they've they've been pretty retrogressive all since you know the uh uh since they had the uh market advantage that they did in the early 2000s but the uh the most uh sort of uh telling uh examples when when they joined the suit, uh the Trump administration's suit against California for California's uh, you know own regulation. That was a big uh that was a big breaking point. And since then, I understand that Toyota has domestic interests and uh and obligations that they can't shun. Uh and I also understand that after Fukushima, uh, electricity itself was uh, and the supply of, of uh, electricity in Japan was a problem. So there were there were a lot of uh, um, uh, barriers to uh, that adoption. But now I think, you know, it's quite obvious that they're just trying to uh, hold and hedge whatever advantage they have. And I think they're, it's going to be difficult for them in the next uh, few years. Plus, the whole thing about the uh, stripping out the union um, uh the, the, the union uh, uh, what uh, manufacturing in the IRA for the batteries and cars. Uh, that was, uh, that was Toyota behind the scenes in Washington and uh, certainly West Virginia.
1: So uh, Toyota's argument of course, is that, Hey, wait a minute, we're all about uh, carbon neutrality and we think we can, this is Toyota talk and not me. Mm-hmm. We think we can get people to a lower carbon footprint faster and more economically, by going with hybrids and Phabs instead of pure BEVs, what do you? T- what, what's your reaction?
2: I think that's a faulty logic, for, and it's also a, a, an unnecessary delay. Uh, I, I think uh, any fair engineering assessment of these two technologies going forward, one is getting much much better, and one is not. Uh, and uh, and for a host of reasons, electrification is going to take over. Uh, there is. Uh, the the advantages that we can look forward to in the next five years will uh, make any hybridization of those cars uh, 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 moot. Beyond that, we've seen that PZEVs, well, PZEVs certainly P-H-E-Vs, I'm sorry, uh, have a lot of tr- transient emissions that are not have not been counted. Uh, they have uh, a lot of wear and tear that's uh, and, and various other downsides that have been glossed over. In, uh, for example, Toyota's. F- but uh, the a solution
1: Sam, what do you think is uh, is toyota crazy like a fox or
0: just crazy well there's we're really not sure how deep the market is for for e v s and and right now, few companies are making money at it, so it in that case, Toyota is on the right track, but in order to get into China. To get into Western Europe long term, to get into North America long term, you're going to have to be EV. And and their idea that plug-in hybrids uh, are quicker and cleaner, the idea isn't bad, except for the fact that nobody plugs them in. Yeah. If you plug them in, it might work, but nobody does that. Yeah. So if, uh, if if that if you're hanging your hat on cleaning up the emissions by people plugging them in. You, you've lost well, I, already. I,
1: I'll just say because we'll get pushback for what you said and I agree with you. A lot of people don't plug in. In fact, like at least half of them don't plug it in or the don't plug it in. And, not it. Basis. Right. and
2: there's a linear inverse relationship between the distance uh, that it can go and the uh, likelihood that people will plug them in. If it goes 20 miles uh, on a charge, uh, 80% of people won't bother, 90%. Uh, <clears throat> these behavioral studies are, you know, are, uh, are all the same. They all return the, roughly the same data. And uh, that's so, and by the way, these, uh, in terms of compliance, uh, PHEVs are wildly overcompensated still, even in uh, California and certainly in Europe. And they're trying to close those U- loopholes. I'm actually surprised uh, that, uh, well, let's say Ferrari and Lamborghini and a few others are going to manage to continue to make a few bespoke V12s for the very wealthy uh, uh, post-2035 uh, uh, that will be road legal. I, um, I don't know how that is going to stand up over time in an egalitarian uh, Europe. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I understand Toyota's argument that, hey, nobody's making money on EVs right now. Well, we know Tesla's making gobs of money on EVs right now. But the main reason uh, others aren't, notably Ford with the F-150 Lightning, you know, Chevy, and it's all about scale. You have to sell a whole lot more of these things. Getting back to our earlier conversation about capacity utilization, you got to get the capacity utilization of those EV plants over 80%. Mm -hmm. And so if you're saying, oh, we'll wait until things pick up, I I think it's too Mm -hmm. late. I I think this is a big flaw in Toyota's logic and and how it thinks it's going to catch up later in the decade. And and another thing, too, where I think its uh, logic is flawed is right now, everybody – I say everybody. So many automakers, GM and Ford, notably at the front of the line in this, locking up the supply chains in lithium, in cobalt, and manganese, in nickel, and you know everything that you need. And if Toyota shows up in three or four years, where the hell are they going to get everything they need?
0: Yeah, you, you, you make great points on on all the the access to all the parts for batteries. Um, uh, getting a supplier for batteries will be tough because all that capacity is being absorbed just as it comes online. So when uh, uh, GM or Ford or uh, eventually Honda and Nissan and everybody else absorbs all that capacity, Toyota is going to be left behind with uh, just the capacity for their, for their plugins, for their hybrids.
2: <clears throat> I want to just add to that. Now, it's, uh, that's sort of the most pessimistic uh, view. Here's a, a more, let's say, middle of the road uh, uh, prediction. Toyota's hung a lot of uh, its prestige on, on uh, a different kind of battery, and uh, that it doesn't have the uh, doesn't have the drawbacks of amorphous lithium and uh, with nickel and rarer. So they're we're uh, we're waiting yet for Toyota to have this better battery. If they have banked their fires, uh, knowing that that eventually uh, their better battery is uh, will come along and it will be commercial. I've, they first said it was going to be commercialized in 2023, if I recall. And uh, so let's give them three extra years. But it could possibly be uh, a, a strategic choice to sort of faint, to fall back on the ropes, to take the beating uh, early on in, in the press, make the argument the best you can, which is what they're doing about PHEVs now, knowing that it'll be more economical to come back with a battery uh, twice as powerful half its cost and, uh, and and set them on the path, finally, to profitability. One yeah, but yeah.
1: you're talking about solid-state battery, and they're not the only ones working yeah, on it. In fact, you got people all over the world working on uh, solid-state batteries. I find it hard to believe that Toyota, off on its own, figured out some sort of breakthrough that's going to leapfrog it in front of everybody else. I'm not saying it's impossible, It is possible, but I just don't think that's what's going to happen.
2: When they were talking about it three years ago, that was uh, that was their attitude. There was, uh, uh, there they certainly were uh, suggesting that uh, now was uh, later would be better to uh, lead from behind, I guess.
0: But 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 would it make sense for Toyota to come in and say um, we're not building EVs, and then suddenly look, we've got this great EV? Is that is that the path to take rather than say we're moving towards Mm -hmm. EV? We've got this engineering work. Uh, w- would that look better to the stock market, to the customers, to everybody else, rather than saying no, no EVs because it's not profitable and then suddenly jump into the market?
2: The Japanese government plays a big part in this too because Toyota can't just turn on a dime, irrespective of the ups and downs of how good the product or technology is. They have to keep, you know, 150,000 people working in uh, the homeland. Uh, and that's their that's the top line, right? That, that you got to cover that first. So, uh, so they they are a bit constricted in terms of, uh, and they have other obligations that manufa- they have obligations, other manufacturers don't. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But you know, EVs represent the fastest growing segment in the market right now. No matter where you look in the, well, the, you know, the major markets, Europe, U S China. And my question to Toyota is don't you want to be in the fastest growing segment in the market? I mean, you know, they're losing. Look how successful Hyundai and Kia are turning out to be in this segment. And look at the prices they're commanding. I mean, they, they're they flipping the whole brand image. They used to be cheap and cheerful. Now they're perceived as bleeding edge EVs, very competent, right there with the best of anybody else, whether it's Mercedes or Tesla or whoever. And uh, I, I, I think All this right, is a, a huge mistake to, to miss out on that. And not just here, but especially in China.
2: Well, Sam, uh, do you want to take a guess as to when Toyota might declare uh, the Japanese equivalent of bankruptcy, Chapter Eleven? Oh,
0: I, I I can't imagine that they would. It was it was hard enough when when General Motors did, and and that was more of a a write off than an actual bankruptcy. So uh, you know, Toyota is not going to do that, but they will snowball into the, the market eventually and uh and I expect them to be a, a full player by the end of the decade. Uh and probably about the time when the the whole market becomes profitable because you know you only have Tesla really making money at EVs at the moment and they're the only ones building any significant volumes. Once and- everybody else gets there and there's a significant the growth in the market is based on a small starting point. So once once you get to 10 15 20 percent of the market now we can start talking about profits on these vehicles rather than just the the small niche that it is now
2: well when people say you know it's a small niche they don't sell a lot of them they should go you know they're not taking into account the fact that you know there's a huge unmet demand you know there's uh hundreds of thousands of people out there who want electric vehicles and, and can't get them uh, and to look at sales data to suggest that that's some sort of natural uh, the water level of, uh, of of the market, I think it, you know isn't isn't true. If if they if General Motors had a million EVs to sell today, they could sell them tomorrow. But speaking of GM John, uh, you mentioned it before about uh, investing heavily in an, uh, in a technology uh, like. Uh, Uh, Well, the LTM battery platform, which, as we now know, as we look over the uh, lithium iron phosphates uh, uh, that uh, are coming online, it's a high priced, diamond plated battery technology. And they are wed to it, body and soul. And it has a number of real distinct uh, disadvantages. Namely, it is not a stress, a load bearing. Uh, the batteries itself are not uh, load bearing. And so you uh, lose a lot of that uh, that uh, 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 weight efficiency right there. And then because they're committed to these absurd uh, numbers, like four and five hundred miles of range, you've got these behemoths that weigh uh, 10,000 pounds. That's I'm sorry. You know, I I studied art history, but that doesn't seem like good engineering to me.
1: Well, you know, look, I'm not going to argue about uh, they're not doing, you know, sell the pack or sell the chassis, which is now the the next step beyond sell the pack. But, you know, uh, wait till they get their whole EV line out there. What they've led is with the most expensive stuff, because at least you got a shot at making some money with, you know, $100,000 plus Hummer EVs and whatever, you know, $60,000 Cadillac lyrics and the like, you know. I'll judge GM's whole approach once they get the Blazers and the Equinoxes and those out and, and the full-size Chevy pickup. All that's coming right now. So I, I'm not going to trash GM's strategy too much because I think that the payoff for GM could be huge in the sense that this Ultium platform is going to serve everything, every market segment. And I think once they get over this hump right now of uh, you know, new product development, the uh, And you know, I I was just looking at the numbers. They spent two billion dollars more than Stellantis did last year in new product development. You know, Stellantis is a laggard when it comes to BEVs. One of the reasons one
2: percent that's still just one percent went from six to seven, I think, seven to eight. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, No, I, I I hear you, but what I'm getting at is one of the reasons why Stellantis has been so profitable or was so profitable last year. It spent $2 billion less than GM did developing
2: EVs. And And guess who's going to be the executive of the year, Carlos Taveras, who has invested nothing in the future, who has the the forward vision like, you know, me without these. I mean, oh, my God, what the hell? I can't talk about failing upward. Yeah but, uh, yeah,
1: but what I'm getting at is GM's going to get over this hump and then they're going to be in the position that Stellantis is. At the same time, Stellantis and everybody else is going to have to be making these big expenditures.
2: I don't know. I'm, I'm having a little trouble with that. I think that, I, I honestly think the Ultium platform gives away a lot of efficiency on weight and uh, energy and uh, uh, density. I think also that they're, that they're, because it's such a long-term thing for them, they are locked into it in a way that doesn't give them a lot of, Latitude. It was one thing for Toyota to be locked into, you know, the world's best batteries and best motor and, and controllers. It's now uh, I'm not so sure, but I, I'm glad that I uh, believe me, I'm glad that uh, you think uh, they're doing the right thing. That's a, that means a lot to me. So
0: well, let's get Sam's thoughts on this. Yeah, no, I'm I'm waiting for the Stella platforms to hit the market. I'm waiting to see what what Stellantis actually brings. Uh, they, they do build electric vehicles in Europe. They have a handful here and there across different model lines and they are spreading them across the smaller, smaller lines. But once they get to the North America where we get to see the Stella frame and the Stella large platforms blossom, uh, I want to see what uh, what they can do. The the large and the frame seem to be able to uh, handle an ICE as well. So will they get the efficiencies that they can get out of an electric dedicated platform? Uh, I'm not sure. But uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see and and the, all the complaints that everybody's having about the lightning not having enough range, not being able to tow the the Ram uh, the Ram Rev when it has an ICE as a as a, a power generator should be able to give you additional range and allow you to fuel up in five minutes. Uh, that could be a, a game changer for that market for the for full size trucks.
2: Mm.
1: Look, I, I think Ford's done a terrific job with the Lightning. But, Dan, you don't seem to, to like that thing.
2: No, uh, no, I like the Lightning. I don't like the recall. Of course, that's a little bit problematic. I'll like, I, I tell you what I, I also find objectionable is getting this advanced product out there and calling, you know, it's job one. And then just, uh, you know, letting the market starve for these products and riding all of this advanced PR. You mentioned, and I think it's fair to say, you know, uh, uh, GM is – talked up these uh, you know coming evs until so you are sold on uh on it and uh and you know good you're probably right you're closer to the action than i am uh but it just that this irish wedding uh, or irish engagement where it just takes forever to get to market in the meantime you know people uh, people who write to me are genuinely put out that they can't buy the the cards that they read about right
1: Right. Look, you know, I I like GM strategy. I've, I've said this multiple times. I think they're several years ahead of all the other legacies. I mean, all the other legacies. Mm-hmm. But something's gone wrong there. I mean, they're just trickling out lyrics. They're trickling out hummers. Uh, I don't know what the issue is, mm-hmm. but you know, if you look at the fourth quarter of last year, there's ninety days in a quarter, right? I think they delivered 82 vehicles. It's not even one a day. I mean, what the hell is going on there?
2: These are practically uh, bespoke like they're like uh what uh, VPNs or validation prototypes uh that are getting cranked out there. They could recall the whole smash and, and who would know the difference, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, that's right. But, you know, the the thing is, there's a theory out there in this town, Detroit, certainly, that GM is deliberately slow walking this because it's going to lose money on them. So why rush to it? I I don't buy it. I don't buy that argument. And I'll tell you why, because they've done all the engineering. They've tooled up the plants. They've hired all the people to build this stuff. I mean, you're losing money by not building them. You know, but, but you're,
0: are... also getting, you're also getting more money on the ones you do sell because there are so few of them that there's no negotiation. You can sell them for whatever you can get out of them. Uh, it it kind of makes sense on this end of the tail when you just get to the very beginning of this this ramp up. Once you get into the meat of it and you're selling uh, a thousand a month, then then you no longer have that advantage.
1: Yeah, but, you know, now's the time. If I'm right and GM has this two to three year advantage, now's when you put the pedal to the metal. This is your if, opportunity to bury the competition.
0: If Dan's right and there's all these people waiting for these EVs, then then they're definitely behind the eight ball on this one. They, they should have all the ones that they can get out there. But uh, I just don't think the market is, is there yet. It's not warmed up yet. It's not ready to take on uh, – Tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of EVs a month from General Motors alone, let right. alone the whole market.
2: Now that uh, on that last point, I agree. And now, but but it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing because it's all going to happen organically. You know, not everybody can get a, uh, get along with uh, uh, what we call medium range EVs. Uh, you know, it's going to go to a certain cadre and a certain income and a certain region, and it's going to proliferate slowly. And it would appear to me that I don't know who's checking who. But these, the proliferation of uh, charging and EV uh, sales is sort of going to naturally, you know, wash over the country in waves. And, uh, and 10 years from now, this conversation will seem very, uh, uh, you know, quaint and obsolete, uh, especially after the IRAs. You know, the, the big problem was people blame the automobile or the technology for an infrastructural problem. Uh, you know, we don't expect cars to go 500 miles uh, on, a, on a tank of gas. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, we could, and we will fix this infrastructure problem in, in a blink in terms of, uh, the, you know, endeavors of man, it's, a, no, it's not a big deal. We can do it, but, uh, it's, it, we can't, we haven't done it yet. As far as General Motors is concerned, all that spending, uh, let's say every car maker I've talked to in the past 10 years has told me the same thing. They're committed to the same uh, quarterly returns every quarter, quarter after quarter, year after year. They are committed to a 7% R&D budget. They are committed to this, that, and the other. So the time to spend, uh, which Elon Musk and Tesla went through in the uh, aughts uh, uh, and the teens, uh, uh, has almost passed them in a lot of ways. And, and, the, and the Chinese manufacturers were spending and were investing. And so that's, I think General Motors can have a hard time catching the
0: chinese general, general motors will, will demonstrate it when they can actually get uh an equinox out of there i'm going to say under forty thousand dollars they say it's going to be close to 30 if they get it near thirty thousand uh, dollars i'm paying yeah. someone off on a bet on that one because yeah. yeah. it, it's it's not gonna be anywhere close
2: i would, a standing <laughs> ovation for me i would be so excited if that were the case god knows i'm not rooting against them. I, i'm just like no can we let's get real you know
1: yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look, guys, we got to take a quick commercial break here. Give a shout out to our great sponsor, Bridgestone, and we'll be back talking more in just 30 seconds.
2: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> How do Bridgestone tires stop shorter on what roads? It's their hydro track technology. But you don't have to know how the science works. Just where the brake is. What really matters is they're Bridgestone. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
0: Ch-ch-chumba.
2: ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. Void where
1: prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're back. Our Sam and I are back. <laughs> 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 and here comes Dan rushing to the chair. So what the hell is going to happen with all these startups? I mean, we just saw uh, Rivian. They didn't lose as much money last year as the year before, but they're still losing over a billion dollars. Uh, they can't seem to get cars running down the line. That's that. That's just uh, <coughs> I, lucid. And then Rivian, same problem. It just can't seem to... Uh, Hey, By the way, we love dogs barking in the background. Screaming babies are even better. So don't worry about it.
2: I, if I have a screaming baby, I'm, I'm, I'm coming over where you are. Uh,
1: so, but yeah, Sam, you pick it up. What the hell is going to yeah. happen with all these startups?
0: Yeah, we just did an outline of of some of the top startups to, to say where they're at and and their success over the near term. And Rivian was always our baby. It was the one we liked of the among the startups. They their numbers were not astronomical they weren't coming in saying we're going to build a quarter million in our third year they were they ramped up nicely they haven't even matched that that ramp up yet so uh finding money to keep going at this point where they're they're losing money they're not building enough vehicles they're having problems ramping up they're laying off people Sam, should they have opened this
1: or start building a second plant? I mean, they haven't even got their first plant up and running, oh. you know, and and that was one that they bought. Right. Right. They got the old Mitsubishi plant. Right. And right.
0: Is, was this
1: their bridge too
0: far going to that new plant in Georgia? Well, they haven't started building it yet. So, you know, the, the idea that they announced the plant there shows that shows at least the investors, I guess, that that they're so progressive and they're so uh, on the move that they're going to need a second plant. They need to fill the first plant before they can move on to the second plant. And they're they're not far enough down the road to fill that plant in the foreseeable future. Even before twenty-six, we don't expect them to fill that plant, which is when the, the Atlanta plant so, was. So supposed wait to start. a minute, they, they they haven't even started building the new plant? It, it they have the they have the ability to. I think I think they have the, the property, but I don't believe they've actually See, put I, down, assumed, I assumed I assume they were building it because they are burning through cash like there's no tomorrow and they're burning through cash because they they have too many people, they have uh too much going on. They, this they they they're developing more vehicles, they have other vehicles coming in. There's a lot of money to be burnt. <clears throat> and uh they they're they they were the one we liked. And you know, they had high enough volume but not high enough that it, that it scared us. Uh their ramp up was nice. Uh this isn't a, a Faraday, this isn't a Lucid. These aren't niche players. This was a mainstream player that could could make money so uh th- this is the one we're kind of on the fence on right now what's the problem chip shortage or they just can't figure out how to bolt these things together or what it, 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 getting the quality there and building them fast enough to get to get them out uh, i see them on the road and, and you know we're half a country away from the plant so they're they're rolling out people are buying them but it's just they're not getting enough of them. They're not rolling it out fast enough. And uh, and like I said, they had to lay off uh, people on the factory line. So it's it, it's it's a problem for a, for a startup like this, yeah. especially when you're you're counting on investment money from the from the stock market.
2: Ah, just a uh, man with regard you're to right. reading, Uh I'm reminded of uh, King Krusty's uh, and the tale of the in bed. Rivian's problem is it, it was doomed from jump because it signed a deal with Jeff Bezos that they had to deliver all of those uh, vans before they could uh, execute fully on the uh, uh, on the Pathfinder car or the truck, the Rivian truck and and SUV. And of course, the provisos of this agreement say that if at any point they do not uh, deliver these vans at the right time and the right costs, the the rest of the contract can be, uh, rendered void. So this is a, this is pretty much, uh, is it scaring? Is how you pronounce this man's name? Scaring. Scaring. Scaring, uh, uh, had a gun, uh, pointed to its head the whole time. And, uh, and and yes, it was undercapitalized. That's an obvious thing, you know, an obvious mistake. Uh, and, uh, but I think the, I think that they stand to be completely undone by the terms of their original seven hundred and seventy million dollar billion million loan. And I think that um, and, and Bezos, as we've seen, anybody who owns a 500 foot sailboat is capable of anything. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, so
1: so does fisker have the right strategy here so-called light asset you know go hire magna and foxconn to build your cars for you
0: yeah the, the asset light approach is a good approach for for an ev startup especially as you're ramping up until you get to 100 hundred, hundred fifty thousand a year it, it makes much more sense to to uh farm out the production to somebody else but Fisker is really an unknown. They Nobody knows who they are. How are you going to roll out tens of thousands of these crossovers in a market that will already have crossovers of EVs around by General Motors, by Ford, by other manufacturers? You're going to need to to make an aura. That, our, our whole idea of selling EVs in this day and age is building an aura around them. It's not just making a great EV. Uh, Tesla is selling on name. Tesla is the modern BMW that from the eighties or Porsche from the seventies. It's it, it becomes what it's, it's what you want to buy. It's what you want to have. It's jewelry. You want you want someone to say, Oh, he's a Tesla owner. That's, that's how it was with BMWs just a few decades ago. Um, Fisker doesn't have that image and uh, Rivian wow. is getting it. Rivian kind of has that image, but uh, Fisker is an unknown at this point. You still have to build up yeah. that, that uh, undercurrent to get enough people to want to buy it.
2: And those who do know him are skeptical. <laughs> and, uh, well, like he's only had he's only he had, had, had two failed had manufacturers, yeah. right? You're yeah. going to build them in Valmet, then you're going to build them in Grand, You know, like so fine. Here's the problem, and I think you know, but the, uh, the the Fisker, you know, come on, the it, it's it's these are models and drawings, Uh, you know, getting into production is a whole other thing. Yes, light, uh, I I get, you know, having a light touch uh, with these startups is a good idea. That's why I think a surprising number of these Chinese startups, regional uh, uh, or urban, uh, uh, small uh, Chinese startups may in fact last because the, the, uh, the threshold is so much lower to manufacturing than at least small scale manufacturing. Anyway, Fisker, maybe, I don't know. Uh, oh, let's get to Lucid though. I did, uh, now, now this is, uh, obviously, this is a pretty charismatic product, uh, but, uh, it was, I, I, you know, anyone who ever sat through a few of those briefings and, you know, rode in the back of that car who was like, uh, and ever on your show, uh, probably went,
1: How's that gonna work?
2: When do those lines cross? Never, they will never cross unless. The uh, the Saudi owners prop the uh, company up uh, in perpetuity, which looks like what it is. I mean, at, at this point, it's a sinecure. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to make money; it uh, it only has to uh, wave the flag, and it can be given to uh, you know princes and potentates. Uh, and uh, it 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 is a supposedly a sign of greater engagement uh, uh, with the West. But to me, everything that the Saudis are involved with at a, at a high like a board. Room level, uh, it, they can't manage. Why would you? They can't manage, right? They go to school, they go to a, you know Wharton, and they go to Oxford to study business, and but they don't practice it. <laughs> uh, and uh, and and so I find that to be uh, it's just like it's a how to say the Achilles heel to mix my metaphors, it's a fatal flaw. Uh, you know, is the unwillingness to do the hard work of management.
0: I'm kind of surprised at at the success of Lucid to this point. Mm. Uh, I was uh, at a car show uh, last fall and the gentleman who was judging with me owned one. And I'm like, I actually met an owner of a Lucid. And at that point, there were only a few hundred out there in the world. So uh, the fact that they're they're rolling out there, that people like them, that the, the owner that I talked to just loved his car. Um, but to your point the, the Saudis are investing in this company, they've, they've got a plant planned for Saudi Arabia for the, for more of them. Again, back to the, the Rivian problem, we're not filling one plant. We're going to build a second plant now. And, uh, um, and they want to roll out a hundred thousand to the Saudis. That's, that's years worth of production for this company. You're not going to get to that point in a long time. If ever.
1: Yeah, no. In in fact, it looks now like the the Saudi Public Investment Fund is trying to mash uh, Aston Martin and Lucid together to some degree because the Saudis are into Aston Martin as well. Aston Martin needs electrics, Lucid needs.
2: That 900 volt system, you know, was evolved out of Formula E and that's kind of like that's their that's their special sauce. And it will be for the foreseeable future. Although, have you ever seen one of those batteries opened up? No, it is a forest of little whiskery connectors to stupid little batteries. You think that could not possibly work in a million years. How robust can these little it looks like a crystal radio whisker, uh, each <laughs> one attached to an anode. It's like and uh, and it's a nine hundred volt. It comes right out of the uh, formula e-car. But yeah. anyway.
0: Yeah. And, the, and then the Saudis are going to have Sear. They have their own brand that's starting up soon. Uh, they've tried to. They've tried all these different investments of automotive production in Saudi Arabia over the past few years. Uh, at one point, uh, Land Rover was going to build in Saudi Arabia as well. Right. So that there's, there's there are all these different companies that are looking to build in Saudi because Saudi Arabia just needs some investment longer term than oil, and uh, right. they can see the the end of uh, automotive oil use. Um, I I don't think it's going to happen in the next twenty years, thirty years, maybe. But uh, um, they well, King at Faisal least are preparing. Grandchildren
2: rode camels. And... <laughs> King Faisal said his grandchildren would uh, uh, would, would ride camels, uh, and uh, they would return to the desert. Which I think, you know, uh, I think in terms of the money, the investment, trying to build a 21st century economy in uh, the uh, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Emirates, uh, and all of these though, have intimate ties with Western car makers. Uh, I, I believe this is going to be one of the uh, uh, fault lines uh, in uh, East and West is the uh, economic and industrial engagement uh, of uh, these uh, powerful Middle Eastern interests, given the uh, social and uh, uh, backdrop uh, that, uh, that, that exists there. Yeah.
1: yeah. Sam, you mentioned uh, JLR, Jaguar Land Rover, was going to build a plant in Saudi Arabia. Remember, they, they, they said they were going to build one in Brazil and were even scouting sites in the United States. I mean, what the hell happened there i mean uh, i i I worry for Jaguar, especially you know they're supposed to go all electric by twenty twenty five and so far they can't even give the the eye pace away
0: yeah so, they're gonna need better vehicles than the i pace so we had one as a test car on the literally the coldest day of the winter uh, three years ago in in Philadelphia, and I couldn't drive to the car show because it couldn't get me far enough there and back um they. That's fine the next generation of EVs has to be better. And I've got to think that Tata knows that they have to do something with Jaguar Land Rover in the next five years. Um, uh, I'm a big Jaguar fan. I, I My previous car was a Jaguar. I, I love the cars. Getting enough of them to get enough people who are like me to buy them is the big problem because nobody's buying a Jaguar anymore. Uh, Land Rover still has some cachet in the market, but, I, I can see Jaguar disappearing quietly into the sunset in the next 10 years if, if they don't come up with two or three hits. They, they need to have something that, that works, that has a, uh, the demand that uh, a Model 3 or a Model S has, um, something to pull buyers in. Because there's nobody talks about Jaguar except for us. <laughs> and, and we only talk about them because we remember the, the grand old days when Jaguar made a nice car.
1: Yeah, I, I still think they make nice cars, but you know, I don't think they're going to last ten years if they don't come up with what you're talking about, Sam. I mean, they better have two or three kick-ass EVs in the market before 2025 if they think yeah. they're going to go 100% EV by then.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. No, they've they've got a coupe, they've got a sport utility. <clears throat> they're they're on the way, but you got to have a reason to buy them when when there's so many choices in the marketplace and mm-hmm. and just putting a leaping uh, Jaguar on the hood is not going to sell a car just for, just for that reason. Um, I, I need. Looks like Sam froze up a second. Sorry. Are you there? Yeah, you're there. You you, you froze up, or at least on my end,
1: you froze up for a second there.
0: Yeah, no, I can, I can fully see them, them needing that, that breakthrough, that, that vehicle that uh, makes people want to buy a Jaguar. But, but like you said, if, if it's not in the next generation, they won't be around in ten years.
1: So Dan, you, you, every time I see any of your posts here in some exotic location driving some sort of exotic car, what the hell is going to happen with all the exotics with this move to EVs?
2: Well, um, as it's funny you should ask that because I just did the rounds of the you know the usual suspects in Aston and Ferrari and uh, and and uh, as uh, as uh, uh, Sean and uh, you, you guys reported today, you know, there's a uh, there's a provision in the EU uh, that that some of these small volume manufacturers uh, can continue to build uh, gas powered cars. If it's uh, under with, a
1: thousand a year, if the company, yes, well,
2: yes uh, you're right, the company, under a thousand a right. So
1: Ferrari doesn't qualify in that regard. Neither does Lambo or most of them.
2: Well, the, uh, uh, no, it's going to be a problem But also in the, uh, in uh, the UK, we're sort of speaking about Jaguar. They're also massaging these various levels and uh, limits uh, to try to, uh, at, uh, on one hand, achieve the uh, the greater public good of cutting emissions, but at the same time not strangling these small, charismatic businesses that mean so much uh, to the uh, country. Personally, I'm a huge. I mean, I think uh, it should all be EV. But the ten thousand, uh, the ten thousand, and the ten thousand limit might be a little. Uh, that might yet be brought down. I mean, we I don't know how sustainable that number is in public uh, opinion in Europe. Anyway, but it, would, it does seem that. If you have if you have just the right uh, look and feel and size, you can get by as a, an exotic manufacturer. I think it's pretty. Uh, I, I think uh, uh, who is it? Uh, the, the man who makes the T fifty. You know, uh, uh, Gordon Murray. Gordon yeah. Murray's uh, probably going to be okay. Um, and because it's like selling, well, it's like yes, breeding and selling uh, racehorses. Uh, and he'll, he'll, I'm sure he'll do just fine. <laughs> well, you know,
1: Italy just came out and said, hey, let's go for a 90% reduction in CO2, not 100%. And, you know, Carlos Tavares has been talking about, hey, we're going a little too fast on this. In the past, Oliver, Oliver Zipsa at BMW has said the kind of the same thing. Uh, I just wonder, you know, how hard and fast is this rule that we're going to ban the ICE in 2035?
0: Well, l- let me be the contrarian on the exotic cars because uh, it makes perfect sense to make an electric Bugatti, Ferrari, Lamborghini, they're fast. Rolls Royce, -Royce. but they're, they're fast. Yeah. You, you really can't get that kind of acceleration out of a clean, you know, just emissions friendly car Mm -hmm. with a V12 or turbocharged V8 or something like that, that making it an electric vehicle allows you to get to the levels of exotic car and, no emissions, so I just think it, it makes perfect sense. You're not driving these cars cross country. You're not you're not taking your your Enzo cross country on on a trip. It, it's just to show off to your neighbors and to drive to the next town over and and on a date night. That's I about mean, it. it. This
2: is my, this is my uh, preach it, brother. Uh, <laughs> my hand uh, <laughs> preach it brother. Absolutely. Yeah, right. but, oh, but wait you, you, yeah, I didn't have a question. But as uh, you
1: guys know, it's the sound of the engine, it's the vibration, it's the shifting, it's uh, using the clutch, hopefully. You we know. can
2: see that all of those emotional defectives are served every year at no, at no great trouble. Uh, it, it, it's a numbers thing. You know, there's, there's only, you know, there are only so many rich numb nuts who want to buy such cards and, uh, and, and, for, and that is a, that's a, to a public policy advantage. Uh, and, uh, but you're absolutely right, Sam. I mean, uh, so many cars would be better uh, electric, World Royce being the one. But I've driven a McLaren GT. Maybe you've driven this too. It's, you know, they're touring a car, and it's built to be super quiet. And I'm like, well, if we were good, if it's going to be this fight, why shouldn't it be electric? I mean, <laughs> my God. Uh, and it only weighs, you know, it doesn't weigh uh, as big as a minute. But uh, anyway, uh, so I think that there will probably still be electric cars, still electric exotics. Uh, Except for that one, the Hispano Suiza, that needs to be burned at the stake. My God, that's the (laughs) ugliest car in the world. uh, Oh my God, it's like the Aurora. You remember that father? What's his name? The Aurora.
0: Uh. I I got a book full of EVs and startups that that will turn you. Even that that the Hispano Suiza is a good looking car. Trust me, I've got some other ones in the in the book here. But but uh, I'm seeing those. (laughs) But the, the your point about the Rolls Royce. Uh, I drove a, an electric uh, G90, uh, Genesis G90, and a lot of these electric vehicles don't have any character to them. And it, and it mm-hmm. disappoints me when I drive it. I'm like, I don't even remember that car that I drove because it it just had nothing to stand out for. It didn't shift. It didn't make noise. It didn't do anything. I I can't tell you what was great about that car. But I drove the G ninety, and I'm like, I understand the buyer of this car. The buyer of this car was the guy who drove a Cadillac or a Rolls Royce, and just wanted isolated from the world. There's no sound. It's as quick as anything. It, but it was deadly silent. I'm like, I, uh, I finally understand the the luxury buyer in this car.
1: Okay, so one last topic I'll throw out there to you guys. Porsche is, you know, investing in. Clean gasoline, no carbon gasoline you know they're down in Chile they're using solar power they're they're taking c o two they're they're mixing it with hydrogen they're getting uh ethanol out of that, refining it into gasoline. Is this the solution for the exotics? I don't think they're going to be able to scale this up, and the expense of this stuff is is through the roof, but for the exotics you, you know do you think this is the savior or or
0: should they just go electric?
2: Sam, I have I have very definite opinions about this, but you go ahead.
0: Uh. Well, it, I I think the exotic should go electric. It just makes much more sense. But for the people who want uh, to to pay however many dollars a gallon it's going to cost for for the the carbon free gas, uh, there are going to be a handful of people who just want that sound of that V twelve. They want mm-hmm. all those perks that come with an internal combustion engine and if you can afford 10 15 20 dollars a gallon whatever it's going to cost and and that's just in in the states it's got to be like 50 dollars in Europe um if you can afford it and you want that for the noise of a V12 more power to you but it, it's it's a novelty Let, okay so let's hear uh, your
1: definite uh, opinion dan
2: <laughs> my de- okay i didn't want to interrupt uh it's uh th- there's this is a, uh, a, a scandal and a cry. Um, the uh, <clears throat> Mercedes-Benz and BMW have both committed to independently audited carbon evaluations leading up to their carbon neutrality pledges of 2040. Now it is, <clears throat> and it's interesting that they both companies use the same auditor. Like there's only one person in the world who can do this arithmetic. But anyway, but it's independent and it's supposed to be you know double. It's book. It's really honest bookkeeping. Porsche is not in that uh, group. Uh, and, uh, and so, you, I, I think it's fair to scrutinize and, and interrogate uh, whatever uh, carbon uh, numbers, uh, abatement numbers they offer. At the same time, to be fair, you look at something like mega casting. Mega casting is, uh, aluminum is more uh, energy intensive as a material than steel, just full stop, 20%. And pushing it into giant castings. Uh, at, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of pressure has got to add measurably to its energy input. So let's be sure that it's not a, uh, you know, it's not a lopsided uh, con- contribution. But those sorts of evaluations, that, that sort of arithmetic does need to be done. And I don't think, I don't think uh, uh, what those fuels will stack up anyway. Yeah.
1: And and here, here's I'm preaching to the choir. Hey, brother. Yes, I, I'm totally in total life cycle emissions, total yeah. life cycle. And some people talk of cradle to grave, but that's not the right metric because the, what's the grave? The grave is the landfill. Screw that. You need to measure total life cycle emissions from cradle to cradle, in, in, including full recycling or a reuse of materials. You got to do uh, a show.
2: You got to do a show about the BMW. system. I'm sure you have. I've seen you got it. Uh, I'm sure you have many shows on this. But the BMW plan uh, is compelling and and very thorough. And uh, I would say how uh, say its expectations are uh, and and uh, goalposts are reachable.
1: OK, so I got to do some homework because I'm not familiar with it. And once I read up on that, I'm going to have both of you guys back on the show and we'll discuss it. So, Sam, if you don't know about it, you bone up on this thing, too. Yep. And we'll do a whole nother show. But with this, we're going to wrap it up. You guys are terrific. This has been a fascinating discussion, even though we stumbled all over the place because of technical issues, this ice storm and the like and Internet connection. But... Sorry, that's <laughs> <man>. <laughs> right. So thanks, you guys. Better now. Good job. Bye, Bye
2: thanks. guys. Pleasure to
1: beer. Bye, John. Bye, Sam. See you. AutoLine After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, solutions for your journey. If you like this program and would like to learn more about the automotive industry, check out our website at autoline.tv or look for us on YouTube on the AutoLine channel.